Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. It's the same start. We could just drop it in, really. What do you mean? You first of I first. Who's first? Are we recording? Confusion. I can't fix the microphone because I want to be able to doing? look at your beautiful well, face. Well, why don't you sit I down do there? I look terrible today. I don't know what. It's been a long day. Mm. Scooch on around a little closer to me, baby. Yeah, because then I can see cursed, and I like to be able to see That's everyone better. involved. Good. We are. Pumping it out tonight. We are. We are. It's taken a little while. We've been all over the place and busy and stuff. Yes, I've been busy and I'm happy to talk about this if you want me to talk about it. Okay, do. I'm happy to talk about it because I think we should acknowledge it and it's fine. So this episode will be released a little bit late. Yes. Because I had quite a horrendous week in court last week. I was covering the uh, plea hearing for Aya Masawe, uh, who was raped and murdered by Cody Herman. Uh, it was very horrific and we couldn't even broadcast the details of her rape because it was so awful mm. uh, and it was a lot to take in and it went for three days and on day one we were meant to record that night and I messaged Dee, Dee and said, I just possibly cannot do any more death. I just mm. can't. It was so awful. And I think I'd said to you, Dee, Dee that a case hadn't gotten me, gotten me like that. Yeah. Um, since the Adrian Bailey case, which I've spoken about on this podcast. If you're a long-time listener, um, you would know First that if you're a long-time listener, uh, you would know that that case uh, of Adrian Bailey really shook me. And it was the case that sort of said to me, okay, it's all right. It's okay to not be okay mm. doing this job. And sometimes you need to go and speak to counsellors to be okay. And I definitely felt that way last week Mm. and I did three days of it and uh, I think what really struck me is we had quite a spate of rapes and murders of women in this town being Melbourne Uh, and the other one was Eurydice Dixon who was raped and murdered by another 20-year-old man at random and so throughout that plea hearing what they were doing was comparing these two rapes and murders Mm. and it was just so clinical and it just brought it all the way down to facts that it kind of – I found myself being very confused about it all in mm. how I felt about it. So you've got these, you know, is it literally what's being said in the courtroom, you know, oh, well, this person was alive during their rape, so that's considered worse because of this. And, well, this person was, oh. you know, this, but they were, weren't conscious at the time. Yeah. And you find yourself hearing about these murderers' terrible upbringings and all the awful things they've been through. And at some point sitting there in court, I'm feeling sorry for him. And then you have to kind of give yourself a reality check and say, Mm. no, but he's done these awful things. So I was just emotionally exhausted. Yeah, I think last week is the easiest way to sum it up. I was emotionally exhausted and um, I just couldn't do any more death. And then Dee Dee called me because you're so lovely. Well, I I just wanted to be your little pressure cooker lid. You were. You just just blurt a bit out and I knew you'd be driving home. I was. It's a good time to talk when you're driving because it just comes out of you and you don't realise. Totally. And Dee Dee called me and um, was the beautiful friend that she is and said, you know, 
just go home and cry in the shower. Mm, yes. And I did. Yes, and I felt good. great. I'm yeah, I had a cry that. in the shower. And you find yourself as a reporter, I think, I felt I was almost grieving her. Yeah. I was grieving what she went through. And you're entitled to it. It's, it's interesting when someone dies who's not direct family mm. and, and you feel that feeling and you, you do. think, well, I'm not entitled to grieve for them. I didn't know them. But yeah. it, grief is the same for everyone. It's, yeah. it's, it's real and you're allowed to feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I just needed – I had a weekend of kind of doing nothing. Good. Um, and I drank a lot of vanilla tea. Oh, somebody sent pictures of vanilla tea. There they are. Uh, People Aaron. are so good to us yeah. on the vanilla tea front. Look, there's more from Erin found <laughs> vanilla breakfast at Coles. Yeah. See, amazing. And watermelon drinks that we love. And if you um, haven't found it yet, there's a little bonus uh, recording of Chanel and her lovely partner, Nico. Did he know he was being recorded? Well, I said I needed to do a tea review. He rightly didn't automatically connect that to the Dead Bodies podcast. Okay. Yeah, yes. Enough, yeah. He was like, and I said, do you want to be in on this? And he was available to be in on it. He right. wasn't very helpful. But he sounds he sounds um, good looking, which he is. <laughs> no, he does. He sounds good looking. Oh, Will well. that go to his head? He'll never hear He it. doesn't listen. He doesn't care. He doesn't. No. no. But thank so, you for being so lovely to me last week. And oh, I feel, it's my pleasure. I've got yes. that little weird tummy ache now. That little, I no. feel a bit motherly over you. It's and like funny. Dee Dee said to me on the phone, we curse Dee Dee and myself. Mm. We don't get paid to do this. We do it because we like to do it and it's yeah. fun and we never want it to be a chore. We never kind of want to be dragging ourselves in yeah. and making it a chore or a job as such because we love it. We do. Can I just pick on so- up on sure. something that you said mm. um, when they were talking about, I, uh, you know, and this rape and that rape and this. Yeah. And, and when the people are reduced or the victims are reduced to a not a statistic but they're just being spoken of as a thing I know that's why I think we do what we do because it tells the story of the victim it means we don't ever forget them and who they were and it it means they're not forgotten and they're not just reduced to a a number or correct exactly that to a number and I said to my producer uh, who I had for the three days and who was fantastic, uh, I said, you know, what strikes me the most, and it was the last line in my story, is that the worth of these women's lives are being judged by the depravity of their deaths. Mm. So, you know, the more horrendous their deaths were ends up being the worth of their lives in the sentence of the people that killed them. Yeah, no, And that was just playing on my mind a lot and it was awful. But, Mm. yes, we're here. We are. Shall I go first or would you like to go first? I don't mind. You go. Mine's longish. Mine's shortish. Well, let's, yours will be a nice icing on, my, yeah. on the cake. Yeah. Okay. You All go. Right. So we had a message from Faye on Facebook. It was quite a while back actually. I've taken a long – I'm a lazy fucker. <laughs> Honestly, I can't even remember when she said to her. Faye's probably come and gone. You're She's very probably... good. I didn't even check the email. You're all over it. Well, this Where would was, we be? Uh, she said, I had my day brightened by seeing a notification that I have a new podcast from you. Yay! I save them for when I'm driving home. I like those notifications too. I get them. Cute, huh? Yeah. So I have no distractions from annoying children. You should look into the case of the New Zealand murder of Carmen Thomas. Her delightful, she's put in brackets, not boyfriend. Oh. He'd, I might not say what he did because you'll find out in a moment in the story. Um, yeah, he was. He didn't treat her very nicely. Okay. Keep up the great work, ladies. Love your sense of humour. Us macabre chicks have to stick together. Macabre. That wasn't necessary. And then there are two emojis. But you haven't done any. Is there accents in this? New Zealand, but I just I'm going to let you not... do them. Is it but, not well, appropriate? I'll, I'll only have a go at it with the with the names of the place. Okay, but I don't. I think feel I like I'm ready it. to be happy, so no, no you one... can do them. They make me laugh. Go. No one's eating chops. 
in this. Shops. Or using the chili bon to put their drinks <laughs> in to keep cool. No one's doing that in this story. No, I, I feel bad to do it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I just want to give a little bit of credit to a uh, investigative reporter by the name of Jared Savage who wrote for the New Zealand Herald, Herald possibly still does. Um, a lot of this I, I read from his story plus a few other stories and I've patched it all together. So back in 2010 in the suburb of Remura. No, that sounded Scottish, didn't it? That was – I don't know what that was. Remura near Auckland in New Zealand. Um, it's a very well-off area. It's one of Auckland's older suburbs, okay. lots of big houses and big, quiet, tree-lined streets. On July the 13th, friends of a woman by the name of Carmen Top- Thomas reported her missing. Carmen was 32. She was a mother. She lived in the Remura. <laughs> I don't know what accent that is. Kirsty's like shaking her head. Well, she's a bit rude, Kirsty. She lived in the Remura area. She was uh, an attractive girl, brunette, and described as a vivacious girl who liked to party. And actually, she'd done quite well. She'd just won a speaking role on a TV series called Spartacus, which I never saw. Did you see it with Lucy Lawless? I feel like I've heard of it. Haven't watched it. Hmm. Uh, A picture on her Facebook page showed her kissing one of the All Blacks. I don't know any of them, but uh, Manonu, Manonu. Uh, she was kissing him on the cheek anyway, and the caption said, great night out. So she, she was living a great time right. getting ahead. YOLO. So she's missing. Uh, police went through a lot of security camera footage in Auckland and Hamilton, and they discovered that the last time she'd been seen was over two weeks earlier. On June the 27th, she showed up on some CCTV at the Countdown supermarket in Green Lane. On July the 3rd, though, a few days later, she sent a text or a text message was sent from her phone to her boss. I think it said she wasn't coming into work. A couple of days after that, her black Nissan Pulsar was found in a street in Hamilton. And then, as I mentioned a moment ago, she was then reported officially missing July 13. Her friends were really worried when she didn't come to pick up her five-year-old son, Jack. Mm. So they searched the area around her home. There were stories about her running in the news and in the papers and some more details about her life came out. Um, She shared custody of that little boy, Jack, with her ex-partner, Brad Callahan. They had separated... Chanel. I thought I'd say my name. Oh, you... That's... Ding. Yes. Yeah. Chanel. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't discuss that earlier, but I just felt like... No, I knew what you meant, though. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we're on the same level. Yes. Um, Isn't there such a... uh, when a woman, a mother, doesn't mm. go and pick up their kid. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely. Time to worry. I when I did breakfast radio, yes. I could never drop my kids to school. I didn't see them in the morning. It killed me. Yeah. I still have this giant hole of, of horror in me from yes. it. And I promised my children that every single day I would be there to pick them up. Yes. I would always be there and I never let them down. Side story. Yes. Dad forgot to pick me up once. Oh no. Oh shattered. From kinder or school? From school. How old were you? I reckon I was like eight. Did he have a good excuse? No, he'd fallen asleep. (laughs) And I had to walk to a $2 shop because I didn't know what to do. So I walked to the $2 shop crying. (gasps) (gasps) No. Can I use your phone? And the lady wasn't forthcoming with helping me use the phone. She was like, why do you want to use it? Really? I'm crying. I'm eight. Eight-year-old Chanel crying. Oh, you call my dad. Oh, yeah. Did you know your phone number? Yeah, I still know it. Nine eight zero three one eight seven four. Okay, let's all call Papa Vella. Nah, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> you know how you know your house? You know your house yeah. number. Yeah, and I rang, and he answered. He was like, 
And I was like, and he was like, you could hear, I remember hearing the panic in his voice. Oh, it's horrible. And he came and got me and I was mortified. Oh. And uh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a sign because, yeah, parents just have to pick up their kids. That's what we do. Um, So where was I up to? I have no idea. Okay. So she had been separated from Brad. Mm-hmm. Just after Brad uh, Jack was born, Jack was five at the time she went missing, and Carmen had been working as an escort. So immediately the suspicion was that she had been murdered by someone she'd met okay. in the course of that work. By the end of July, Carmen had been missing for a month, and police flew her mother, Teresa Scott, to Auckland from South Africa. That was good. Thank you. And she spoke to the media begging for help to find Carmen. She said, I. I, I just want her to come back safe and soon sound. Oh, you were, No, I won't do it. It's wrong in this circumstance. It's probably really good for you. It's it's bad in these circumstances. Okay, sorry. Uh, her mother said she's a good mum. She's not the kind of person who would just leave her son. See? Her mother met with Brett Callahan, the father mm. of the child, and young Jack. Uh, that meeting was secretly filmed by police. Now, as usually happens when someone goes missing, they interviewed close family members. Want me to be a TV news director right now? Yes. Keep all the vision of the husband, all the vision of the other ex-husband. You keep that vision. I want it kept separately on a tape so he can get it as soon as he's arrested. You're going to, yep. Jared Jared Savage was the reporter on this because I think, anyway, let's get to it. Um, uh, He gave an interview, Brad Callahan, to Mm. the New Zealand Herald, which described him as cool, calm and collected. And he said he hoped the police would find Carmen soon. So police revealed then that they thought the Carmen was dead because of the amount of blood that had been found in her car. Oh, right. And the recycling bin was missing from Carmen's home. Brad Callahan did another interview with the Herald. I reckon if someone in your family's missing, don't do all the interviews. Don't do it. Just a bad look. Do one. Don't. I need that interview for my job. Do one. That's <laughs> no, it. Don't. Uh, he thought the police were keeping him in the loop, but he didn't know about the blood in the car. They weren't telling him everything, so he suddenly realised, oh, they're not telling me all the things they know. Right. Um, I've realised I've put everything in a very bad order. Anyway, um, someone claimed to have seen Carmen's car, so this is going back to before they actually found it, uh, parked in Whitford, which is a rural uh, area southeast of Auckland. And police set up checkpoints. They stopped hundreds of motorists. And nobody had seen anything in that area where her car was found. Right. You've probably figured it out. I did too reading it. Everyone did. Behind closed doors, police thought Brad Callahan's the one. Yeah. And they didn't say it publicly, but he really was their sole suspect. I just um, winked at you in a weird way and I don't know why I winked at you. Did you? Yeah, I winked at you like, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always thought that if um, I was – I did cover one royal tour. I didn't. I, was, I covered the royals and, and the pope. But I always thought if I got face to face with the queen, I would wink at her. What? Wouldn't you give her a wink? Because that would be that is not. I don't think. You but can who do would that see it? The queen. No one would see it. But the queen would get a little because she's got a sense of humour. Harry used to. He doesn't anymore. Hey there, old girl. <laughs> Wouldn't you give uh, her a wink? Just, well, I haven't thought about it, but I, I just think she. I think she'd like it. Okay. Make her day. <laughs> 
Let's tell you a bit more about Brad Callahan. He was an engineer for a property developer called Manson's TCLM. He was intelligent. He went to a good school. He had mm-hmm. an engineering degree. And his site office was inside a uh, the telecom corporate office. And across the road from his office was an empty construction site. So Jared Savage, a.k.a. Chanel Villa mm-hmm. from the Herald or Channel 7, depending, yes. watched him. They watched him. They observed him for several days. Yep. Uh, they saw detectives leaving the headquarters of his business. Yep. And while Callahan was out of the office, um, they saw him speaking at the site the following day. They tailed him home after work, all eyes on him. Yeah. They published photos of Callahan with the police. And this pissed off all of Callahan's friends. Even yep. Carmen's family at this stage oh, were on his side. Yeah, okay. um, it was being inferred pretty obviously that that he had killed Carmen. But mm. his supporters were really um, h- hardcore behind him. Yeah, right. There was a Facebook page. Carmen's stepsister wrote on the Facebook page that Callahan was not only a victim but a lovely person who was having to love and protect his little boy. Did they know? That she, you might not know the answer to this, was an escort? I think it was public knowledge at that point, right. yeah. Because yeah. I'm wondering if they're just thinking, there's no way he did this when there's so many other men out there that could have done it. Yeah, no, they knew at this point. I'm wondering if that's why they were done it, yeah. protecting him so fiercely. Oh, I see. Because no, maybe I, they were thinking. My reading of it, uh, on reading all the stuff on it, was that he is one of those people who everyone likes, oh, okay, who right. has really good mates who would do anything sure. for him and he would do for them. A good bloke. Yeah, because mm. his mates come into it. And okay. So obviously his friends really liked him. Another friend on this Facebook page said, Brad is an absolute gentleman, a great and loving father, and definitely does not deserve this. Oh. And then Callahan himself wrote a letter to the paper complaining that he was being harassed. Too now, let's writing. go back again to June the 28th. This was this is the day after Carmen was last seen on that CCTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the night that night, so she was on the CCTV, that night she had called Brad Callahan yes. and said to him I need to talk to you about Jack, the son. So he turned up at her home just before nine o'clock the following morning. Okay. A neighbour later said she heard a scream. Oh. She went over to check, but no one answered the door. So she said she stood there listening and she could hear a male voice. And I don't know why this is the thing that upsets me the most in the story. She could hear a male voice saying something like, shh, shh, it's okay, be quiet. When did the neighbour report this? Hmm. Let's find out in a minute because I've forgotten. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's horrible because that's when he was killing her. And he was saying to her, shh, shh, it's okay, be quiet, while he was killing her. Anyway, you'll find that out in a minute. I like um, that you're doing it in a whispering voice. Callahan came out to talk to the neighbour. Yep. Said to the neighbour that Carmen was sick. Oh. And that she had vomited blood onto his trousers. Oh, because he had blood on his pants. Uh-huh. Uh, and he even said to her, you can come in and have a look if you want. And the, and the neighbour thought, oh, no, if she's that sick, I don't want to disturb her. So the yeah. neighbour didn't go in. Smart by him. But the neighbour didn't let it go there. The neighbour texted Carmen at around about midday. So that was nine. This is yeah. now midday. Um, and she got a text back from Carmen. Oh, no, apparently. she didn't. Mm-hmm, saying, yeah, been really sick this week. Went to hospital for a bit. Heading down south for a week off. We'll be back Sunday. But she obviously wasn't going anywhere because he'd killed her at this Mm. point. So uh, at around that same time, Brad rang a mate whose name has been suppressed by the courts. Sure. And the reason for that is that this guy and another mate 
gave the cops information, so they've yeah. been protected, yeah. Um, Brad asked this mate to meet him at a supermarket in Green Lane. He sent him a text which said, can you please bring three black rubbish bags No, and a bottle of... It says me kerosene, and that's his typo. Keep it quiet. If Kirsten texts you Never. that. If anyone texts me asking me to bring three garbage bags and kerosene. Mm-hmm. And keep it quiet. It's like saying, hey, um, you're coming around yet? Yeah? Can you bring a balaclava, uh, a crowbar, and some gloves? <laughs> yeah. What? Huh? Keep it quiet. The friend did as he was asked. No. Yes, this is what I mean. He no. seemed to have this hold over people. So uh, Callahan went back to Carmen's flat. He cleaned it. He hid her body and everything else in a big recycling bin. It's like your recent story. Now, his plan was to get rid of her body and make it look as though she'd gone to Hamilton and then it's nothing to do with him that she's missing. On June the 30th, police say he bought a meat cleaver and a 120-litre plastic bin. He was texting people still from Carmen's phone to give the impression she was still alive, and he told friends that she wasn't feeling well and had gone down the line for a few days. I think that means down to Hamilton. Mm. Uh, He had Carmen's recycling bin because he'd put her body in her bin and taken it to his house and then swapped it with his neighbour. Right. So the neighbour now has the bin that's had a body in it. Okay. The body's not in it anymore. Uh, he cut her body into eight parts. Again, I can't think. Head, arm, arm, torso. One, two, three, oh, four. We always miss parts. Five, six. Did we decide uh, torso? No, leg cut in half. Yeah, maybe. Leg half at the knee. Yeah. Guessing. He put the parts into plastic bags. Then he put. Oh, it's got to be absolutely horrendous awful. cutting someone up. It's one thing to murder someone. It's another thing to cut them up. To murder someone who you loved so much at one point that you had a child with them. That you cut, oh. He put the body parts into plastic bags. He put the plastic bags into paint buckets and into those big 120-litre fish bins, they call them, and he poured concrete into them. He called another friend whose name is also suppressed. He's known as Witness 70. And he, uh, he asked Witness 70 if they could go out in his boat in the morning. And Witness 70 had already been planning to go out in the boat. So uh, Callahan was pushing him. He said he wanted to go at 7.30 in the morning. But the friend wanted to sleep in. It was a Saturday. Um, he did notice this friend that Callahan sounded a little bit serious. He was normally very talkative, chipper kind of a guy. Anyway, they ended up meeting at the Okahu Bay boat ramp just before nine. Am I talking, saying these places like I'm a local, like I know yeah, the area? Yeah, just rolling mm. off the tongue. Akahu Bay. Uh, the boat ramp there, you know the boat ramp, just near the water yeah. there, mm-hmm. the edge yeah. of the Akahu. New Zealand. Mm. See, Witness 70 said that Callahan, he didn't look himself, he was unshaven, a bit tired, and 70, I will just call him 70, 70 said, what's going on, mate, you all right? And Callahan replied, no, I'm, no, I'm in big trouble. I, I really, no, I don't have to, nah, I really need it. your help. No, 70 said, I'll help you if I can. But I can't if you don't tell me what's going on. So Callahan said to him, I've killed Carmen. And he asked 70 to help him get rid of the body. We're back in your territory. How do you get rid of a body? What's going on here? How do you do it? But what's going on? Keep reading. So 70 asked Callahan, why didn't you just bury the body? And Callahan said, mate, I've tried everything. I've been out every night this week trying. And he obviously just couldn't find a place or whatever. So Callahan... Uh, took 70 to the back of his Subaru wagon. 
And he opened it up. Oh, no. And he pulled up a blanket and there were the buckets and the black plastic bags and the fish bin. So 70 started to freak out. And he said later, I remember just feeling ill and disbelief. And this was all happening on a busy marina. It's now early morning, Saturday morning, broad daylight in front of other people. Callahan said he was going to take Carmen's car to Hamilton and he was going to use her phone to text her boss and friends to make it look like she'd gone uh, away. So the two of them drove away from the marina to a car park by an empty construction site. No. They wanted to shift the buckets onto a small no. boat. At what point do you do you say? Just give the friend a little bit of, just give him the credit for a second. I know he's he's kind of doing it just robotically at this point and thinking, shit, 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 he's panicking. Curse is disagreeing. Okay. Uh, the bu- they're lifting the buckets onto a, a boat. No. The buckets oh, are really I'm heavy. I'm not even lifting buckets at this point. I'm not even lifting buckets. I'm not. The big fish bin was over 50 k's. They both had to yeah, lift it together. of course it is. It's full of concrete as well. They drove back to Akahu Bay. They no. launched the boat. This is the little one. They He's took it out. He's in a car with a dead body. <laughs> yes. Are you joking me? Yes. How, give Joke. 70 a second. What? Hang in there. Hang in there, give 70 a minute. So they take the little boat out to 70's yacht and he's got a yacht, like he's, you know, uh, he's doing all right for himself. Um, 70's said, so they're out. a lot of people that aren't doing all right for themselves that aren't lifting buckets, I tell you that much. They're out at the yacht and 70's cleaning it down and while he was cleaning it down, he, it's clear now in his head he's not going to help. He won't do it. He has to think of a way to get out of this because there would also be an element of fear. Drop the hose. Off to the yeah, cops. but this is a man who's saying to you, "I've killed someone." Yeah, but he's not going to kill you uh, right yeah. there in front of you. Okay. He's not going to just smack you dead. So they left the yacht. They started the engine of the smaller boat, which still had all the body parts in it. And I'm sorry, Cal- seventy. I can never be in your shoes, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just shook yeah. But seventy is the reason that we the whole thing. I know, got and I can understand that yeah. he's, he he did the right thing. Yeah. So uh, Callahan wanted to take the little boat through a main shipping route and out beyond. Okay, I'm going to have a go at it. Rangitoto Island. Sounds good. But seventy said it would be too busy there, so then he uh, suggested going past. Waikiki Island, but 70 said that that little boat wouldn't have had enough fuel to get them there and back. So he said, let's not do that. So he's doing things to try and stop him from doing what he wants to do. Um, 70 then said, the tide's wrong, the wind's wrong. What if they float? What if they don't sink? He made lots of excuses because at this point he's decided what he wants to do is get everything back to shore because then he's more in control of it, I think, there. Um, so he told Callahan, let's check the tides and maybe we'll go back out later on this evening. But he said he had no intention of going back out later mm. on. He just wanted to get back to shore and get the stuff off of his boat. So they took the boat out of the water at Okahu Bay. All the buckets and fish are still on board. They then drove around, but there were too many people around for them to put the buckets back into the back of the Subaru. They ended up in the car park of the Hearn Bay Women's Bowling Club. Oh which was no longer used. It was all overgrown. Okay. And they put the buckets and the fish bin in the back of the Subaru and Callahan gave 70 some money to buy new SIM cards. I got cross with 70 about this because he did it. And they then got mobiles and they're talking to each other on those using See, the I'm new SIMs. See, I'm still not feeling sorry for 70 at this no, point. I'm not sorry I'm not. for him, no, but I feel like he at what, tried at what point, to make... If you went to go buy SIM cards, you can't go to the cop shop? Yeah, you're right. Come you're on. absolutely right. You can't so, just call a local CI and say, 
He can. But you're Chanel Vella. This guy's... I need you to come down to the abandoned women's club. There's a fish bin and I'm under extreme duress. Ma'am, why are you whispering? Come to the women's club. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so um, Callahan said, let's take the boats out again. 70 said, no, won't do it. Uh, that same day was the day that um, Callahan texted Carmen's boss at the Pakaranga Men's Club. Mm-hmm. The next day, Callahan approached a third friend. What? Hold on. The next day? Mm-hmm. We're seventy. Well, seventy nine is the new one. No, this is witness seventy nine. No! We're seventy. I don't 70's know. Seventy's gone 70's. to sleep that I night. Said nothing. Seventies. 70, but this must what? be the hold this guy had over people. So he obviously, nah. the guy, he stood up to him, but he Come couldn't dob it. him in. Come off it. So 79 steps in uh, and he, oh, so sheesh. Callahan tells 79 that he's killed Carmen and they try. Uh, might that, as well have announced it at a football stadium <laughs> full of his friends. Everyone, because no one was doing anything. No. Well, he told. I'm not, I'm not done. I'm shook. Not only has he told his friends yes. that he's killed her, they know that she's in concrete. I know. I and know. They're not doing anything. They're freaking out. Oh well. So Callahan tells Seventy Nine that he tried to bury Carmen's remains in the Hunua Ranges, but the spade broke. Yeah, oh, I told Seventy Two, and we went out on his boat, and we came back. It didn't work. These mates, yeah, you're right. Okay, you spun me mates. around. They're All good right. mates. I'll tell you that much. They're good mates. You've done a, done a good job for the for the prosecution because I'm now on your side. So over the next few days, police say Callahan drove into the Waitakere Ranges in West Auckland and he buried Carmen in the bush. He took a car to Hamilton and left it there. Of course, as we know, that was later found. Well, he only buried those co- that co- those concrete blocks. He borrowed, yeah, the, in the tubs and everything, the concrete and the what, what. Look out, there's a moth about to get you. Or what is it? Some sort of wildlife? Uh, On July. You did? Is it in your hand? It just ran over my hand. I was like a sensei. (laughs) And you were like one of those uh, lizards that the tongue goes, (laughs) catches Um, it. Hold on a second. Yes. So he buried, he loaded a 50 kilo block of concrete into a car, out of a car. I reckon 79 was with him. I think 79 went with him. That's what I mean. How did he do that on his own? Is this a fact? I think 79's there. Is that a fact? Yeah. I might have made it up. No, it's true. Seventy. Ah, did seventy nine go with him? It just says he approached him. I think some of these witnesses are being protected. Right. Um, Okay, so it's now three months well, after all this has gone on, mm-hmm. body's been buried, mm-hmm. mates everywhere doing the wrong thing. Three months later, there was still no arrest. Is the oh, sorry, moth still what? flying? No. What? Three months? Yes. No one said anything. No, no. 70 and 79 yeah, have no. not said all anything right. for three months. I'm going to. A 70 and 79 friend. I'm shook. A 70 and 79 friends. Oh, we but don't he's know. He's one of these guys. Okay, listen to what no, I'm about to tell you here. Come this on. Is, this is a side note. Come off he's it. He's one of. I know, come off it. I'm a dobber. Yeah, I'm a dobber too. But this is one of those people who's like the true sociopath. You know, when they can talk people do, into doing it. He's obviously one of these He's guys a and a dirty, dirty liar. But listen to what he does here. He was so he um, he had a fiance, a girl called Tanith Butler, who was pregnant, and there was another woman called Joe Reed who he'd been seeing, and Callahan had called that relationship off, and 
um, they still spoke to each other and by chance she bumped into him with the pregnant fiancé and she texted him later and said, because he'd been telling her he was single, she texted the fiancé and said, uh, she texted him and said, who was that girl with you? And she said, uh, no, that's my dad's brother's daughter. Come on, that's very different to I chopped my ex-missus up and put her in concrete. Here she is. I'm in trouble. And you say nothing. You go to sleep. You go to sleep. For three months, you go to sleep. That's 90 They're nights. They're still looking that's for the body. That's 90 nights of just chucking your head down on the pillow going, oh, didn't happen. I know, it's a lot, didn't isn't happen. it? That's absolute bullshit. So the police are still trying to find her. And they wanted to dig up some freshly laid concrete at a construction site in Auckland, mm-hmm. opposite where Callahan worked, because there, there were rumours started that Callahan was, because uh, Carmen was buried there. So they drilled a hole, they lowered down a high tech camera into the drain for the site, they checked the timesheets for workers, they asked businesses in the area for any CCTV around the time she disappeared. The next day, Callahan was arrested. And a group of detectives went through his office. They took boxes of documents and he was interviewed. And then he was led into the Auckland District Court to face a single charge of murder. And his lawyer, Stuart Grieve QC, tried to have Callahan's name suppressed. Well, Would not, you allow that? No, I'd fight as the that. Judge? Exactly. I'd, as a journal, I'd, I'd be hot dialing my lawyer saying, get to court right now. We need to fight this. Well, because he he had sent often. that letter to the paper and he'd also done several interviews. So he's basically Horses out himself bolted, anyway. as they say in court. Uh, everyone was shaken by the fact that he was accused of murdering Carmen. All friends and family, they thought he was a nice guy. So police confirmed that Carmen had been dismembered, even though they still didn't know where her body was. They mm. kept digging up that construction site. They found a bag of clothes, but they didn't find anything relevant to the case and the clothes weren't related to it. Okay. They looked at Callahan's cars, his mate's boat, and a week after being arrested and while he was sitting behind bars, Callahan became a father again. So Tanith Butler, the fiancé, had had a son, mm-hmm. which comes into it later. Uh, finally, on October the 1st, so this is three months still after Carmen had gone missing, there was a breakthrough. A tip came through. Did it? From who? <laughs> which one? Well, we don't know who, but I'm guessing 79 or 79's missus. Don't you think? Do you think 79? Yeah, or his ex-missus because that's what normally happens. Mm. Well, they knew then where she was. So they went, they looked, they found, they found the containers of concrete in the book. So Callahan admitted to killing her. So here's what he did to her. He hit her on the head at least eight times with a baseball bat. Mm. The postmortem showed she had died from multiple blows to the head. The fatal strike fractured her skull behind the right ear and the shock caused such severe damage to her brainstem that it killed her. And Why? her lawyer said, well... Um, her his lawyer said that on the day that he killed Carmen, she had called him over to talk about their son's yes. schooling. And it, this is his defence lawyer, said that Carmen had said to Callahan that their son was being bullied at school uh, and that she said to him, you don't have any say in this because you're not the father. Oh, okay. Which made him angry. I didn't do an oh in her in. And like when you get angry, don't kill the person. Yeah, right. Don't kill her. Mm. Mm. Uh, so um, his reaction obviously was well out of proportion with it, but it did provide a little bit of understanding as to why it happened. Mm. So the Crown Prosecutor, Simon Moore SC, said the attack was sustained and forceful. It was made worse by the fact that it occurred inside Carmen's home where she had every right to feel safe. Yes, that is a contributing factor. 
He pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison in 2012 with a minimum non-parole period of 13 years and eight months. No, life with non-parole of 13. It seems Mm. low. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. He was also sentenced to six years for perverting the course of justice. And this was because of all the texts that he sent and saying saying that he was still in contact with her. So the little boy, um, Carmen's son. Yes. And Callahan's son. He was six at the time that he was left with... His mother dead and his father in jail. He was given a new name and Mm -hmm. a new life in a rural town. And the other child, so Tanith Butler, the new fiancé, that child also grows up without a father. So it just shows you how far-reaching it is. Oh, it's always, yeah. Um, Yeah, as I mentioned, hit the friend, I'm not sure which one, 70 or 79, avoided an accessory to murder charge by giving crucial evidence in return for immunity. That would have to be 79 who helped with the burying, I think. Oh, it could be either of them, but yeah. Mm. There you are. And that is the awful story of Carmen Thomas, which shook New Zealand. Um, Well, I'm probably more shook by the actions of 70 and 79. Damn them. Damn them. I'm glad they skipped the 60s because that would have everyone went pretty <laughs> every time they said. That's true. Yeah. 69. Mm. Um, quick one from me. I heard what? someone the other. What was I watching? What? And 69 came up. It was two people talking about it. What? And someone said. What are you watching? That you do. I don't know. Must have been a bit rude because they said you do a 69 standing up. Sorry? How can you? It's very Cirque du Soleil. Mm. Um, quick one from me. Yes. From my good friend, Georgia Commonsoli, who is obsessed with our podcast. Oh, she is. She's a colleague of mine. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful lady. And she's obsessed with our podcast. She always gives me things. Can I say she also sent us in a feedback story, which is somewhere in our part. Yeah, you can do that too. All right. Well, I'll do her feedback right after I do this little story. Um, So she gave me an update on the body farm. Which we've oh. spoken about before. Yeah. It's in New South Wales. So researchers at the body farm have actually made a very significant discovery. And that is that they have worked out that, and I will credit um, Alison Wilson. She's the researcher who discovered this. So using donor bodies, uh, she was filming bodies, I'm guessing from above, for 30 minutes at a time over 17 months. Um, and from this work... And I'm quoting here from an ABC article by uh, Igna Stuzna. I've seen it, but I'm pretending I haven't. Have you? We got sent this by so many people on our Facebook page. Oh but my please, goodness. no, 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 please tell it for okay, those who haven't. Okay, so what they our found was that bodies move after the person has died. Do they really, or are yes. they just shrinking? So in this ABC article, well, yes, they said what we found was that the arms were significantly moving so that arms that started off down beside the body. You know what they're doing? They're trying to find the bell and go, I'm still alive in here. Let me out. I've been very alive. Kirsty did like a kill me face rightfully. (gasps) I just just killed the moth that you claim to have killed a few minutes ago. I saw it drop dead. She clapped and it was dead. That's our first dead body on Dead Bodies podcast. I present to you the dead body. Of the moth. I'm going to photograph that and that is going on our Facebook page. I killed a moth. We have a dead body in the studio. There it is. Is it moving after death? No, it's dead. It's fully dead. Oh, my goodness. You are a real killer just then. It's revolting now. Do a chalk outline. (laughs) 
my Keep goodness. talking. I'm going to. Okay. okay so anyway. what they found was, yes, that arms that started down beside the body could end up out like a crucifix hold out to the side of the body. Um, she noted that the body moved pretty much continually over the 17 months that they filmed these bodies. Whoa. Yeah. So they attributed that moving to what you said before, shrinking and contracting of the body's ligaments as they dried out. She noted the arm on one body went out mm. and came almost all the way back in. Is that rigor mortis? No, that's different, isn't it? Rigor mortis well, comes is early, isn't it? Yeah, it could be like the continuation of rigor mortis. Mm. But one arm went all the way out and then came all the way back in, touching the body again. So the question is, why is this so significant? Why is it so important? And it's important because police currently investigate homicides and murders that the body dies and he is where it falls, yeah. that it remains there. But what they know now is that the body can significantly move. So they can't take, if you know, especially if it's a cold case, they find a body 18 months later. Yeah. They cannot say that that is definitively how the person was placed or fell when they were but killed. You're not talking about it moving, you know, six feet. It's only. But for an arm to go money. all the way out. Yeah. Yeah, and true. And come all the way and, back in is very if, significant. If that happens, it could knock a table over. It could knock over a glass yeah, or a bottle or spill could something. Move things. Yeah, isn't that incredible? It is continually moving. Kind so, of, yeah. Zombie-like. It's weird, but isn't it's it? it's freaky that arms are the most prevalent. Shall I do this little feedback from Georgia while I've got her? You can, but I I've dropped the moth. Hang on, I've got to find. She's got the torch out on her phone oh, to find them. Oh, she's found it. Okay, so again from Georgia Commonsoli, she says, "Dear Curse, Dee Dee, and Vella, nice things, nice things. My uncle is a funeral and death business business. Couldn't talk." My uncle is a funeral and death business skeptic. We recently had a loved one pass away and for her funeral, he said no to everything except the coffin. He said we don't need any of it. He even asked to watch the cremation to be sure they didn't try to resell the coffin. Yes, I'm with him. Are you? Yeah. Because they might do that. She said from his newfound obsession, he then went home and found online an SBS show called The Secret Life of Death. Oh, yes. Everyone's been telling us about that. Mm -hmm. As he was watching it next to my sleeping auntie, a funeral director was explaining how they were about to meet with a special client, someone with a terminal disease and with very specific requests for her funeral. The screen shows the funeral director walking down a suburban street, which she instantly recognises. It's the street his daughter and her partner had just bought their first home on. He jolts my auntie awake and says, you have to look at this. The show- <laughs> Everyone loves to be jolted awake. That's, right? Yeah. To watch a funeral show. <laughs> yeah. The show then goes into a house and starts an interview with the client at her kitchen table. Yep. It's my cousin's brand new house. And all the furniture they got given when they bought the home from the previous owner, it's all there. So George's uncle is watching a show where a funeral director... The the home is on it, their home. Their cousin's brand new house is the house where this dying woman is living. I would, yeah, you'd be going whack, whack, whack. 
So you they wake up and see this. when they bought the house that the furniture <laughs> must have been too big or too hard to get out of the terrace home, but it now seems like the family just didn't want it. Yeah, didn't want to do it. it. They didn't want it. It's got dead body vibes yeah. in it. They're now living in a dead woman's house with quite a few pieces of her furniture. She says, I implore anyone to watch it. There's a mortician who swears like a truck driver. Oh, we love that. Yeah. Sounds like someone I am doing a podcast with. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. Thanks, Georgia. To have her support of our- Yeah, she she loves it. She always talks to me about it in the newsroom and she's a delight. Good on her. Yep, uh, here's a quick one from Eloise. She found a random article on Facebook today about Lake Rookpund, uh, also known as Skeleton Lake. It's a frozen lake in the Indian Himalaya full of dead bodies. No one knows why. Uh, and she's attached an article from the abc.net.au. For more than a 1,000 years, a lake 5,000 metres above sea level in the Indian Himalayas has been home to hundreds of human skeletons. No one has known how or why they got there. It was previously thought they all died in a single catastrophic event, but a study over 10 years into the human remains has revealed the victims had very different origins and were separated by more than a 1,000 years. How many bodies were there? Hang on. It's full of bodies that have been put in there for over a thousand years. Some suggested they were the remains of an army or merchants who were trapped in a blizzard or that they were victims of an epidemic. The majority of the 38 skeletons researchers used to extract DNA were of Indian origin. 14 appeared to be Eastern Mediterranean. One is Southeast Asian. (gasps) The moth is alive! Oh, it's not. It's moving. Look. It is. I can see its It's tentacle. moving. Oh, no. Do you want me to squish it? Oh, I no. don't know what I want you to do. Is it? Is it alive or is it its body moving after death? I don't know. <laughs> Dina, you have to kill it. No, no, no. I'm going to film no, it. No, don't film it. Oh, right. I won't film it. 79 I... if you're filming it. Oh. I'm going to kill it. I will in a minute. I might need that piece of paper. That's got a feedback on that we haven't done yet. I'll do, squish it with this one from Eloise in a minute. I've got a tissue. Some of the... Be right back. Okay. Some of the skeletons date from AD 675 to 769, way back. Uh, One is from more than 200 years after that. So they've been... That's weird. How did they get there? A possible explanation for the older sample could be a mass death during a pilgrimage. Investigators are now looking into whether large foreign travelling parties died in the region over the last few hundred years. Well, that... (gasps) <laughs> Thank you, Eloise. Now we've got a dirty moth smudge on one of our feedback things. There's a death smudge on one of the feedbacks now. Squished moth. Um, that was traumatising. Do you want to do one or shall I do? Oh, you did. Yes, George's I'll do one. one. I've got Emily. Okay. Uh, who says, hi, DD, Chanel and Kirsten. Uh, Kirsten, I just want to say you do an amazing job. She does. Emily says, I imagine sometimes trying to keep DD and Chanel in line mm. is like herding cats. But wonderful and lovely cats. I really like the sound effects. I laughed a lot. So you've added you've that's not sound effects, that's DB. So you've added value for me. What about when they fight on the fence at night? Cats. I don't get that, but I get possums that are literally the size of cats that set off my outside they're so big they set off the light so sensors. They run down the fence line. Yeah. And you know how that noise they make? Yeah, I hate it. It's so annoying. Anyway, Emily says, I've decided on a couple of things thanks to your podcast. One, I want to be an organ donor. That's good. Yay. Kirsten's clapping. That's really good. After that, I want to be acclimated. Okay, that was your suggestion, wasn't it? Yes. If I can't have my organs donated, then I've decided I'd like to be blown up. 
Oh, uh, what? <laughs> what happened there? It was all going nice. I saw that la, la. article about the gentleman who donated his mother's body to science, and unfortunately, she was then used for bomb. Oh, testing. that was a terrible story. Did you see that? What? That was like all these bodies that were supposed to have been given for science. They discovered they'd been using them for other stuff in America. It's like a current story. Terrible. Terrible. I kind of like the idea of being used for science once I die, and it's going to be a fantastic story for the future kids and grandkids. The <laughs> mum is getting her body blown up after death. Still love the pod. You're my favourite by a mile. Nice things, nice things. Emily. All right, now we because it's just a bit of bad luck, but the, these two girls know what we're like, so I'm sure they'll forgive us. Because this episode was supposed to come out on October the 7th, yes. which would have been the day after October the 6th, but we're a few days late with it. That's right, 6th and 7th. October the 6th is the 18th birthday of who? Not Sabrina, but Basma. Oh, I didn't know if you, you were, were going to say, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. You did. You went like up. You pointed up. You didn't point at me, so I wasn't sure. But happy birthday. Happy birthday, Basma. So, yes, we wanted to say happy birthday to you. How amazing. So what I can tell you about turning 18 now is that if you murder someone, you're going to go to adult prison. Is it 18, is it? Well, you could still end up in youth prison, but it's likely you're going to go to adult prison. You're educated. You, you know right from wrong. So 100% you murder someone, you go to adult prison. Happy birthday, Happy Basma. birthday. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.